0: Now, we said we were going to have some verses tonight uh, on grace, on grace. For I don't want to start quoting some because it might steal some of your thunder here. So anyway, anybody got a verse on grace? Let's start with a young person, some young person. Yeah, right over here. Amen. Is that the last verse in the Bible? Okay. Uh, no, okay, all right. All right. That's a good way to end the word of God, isn't it? Alright. Anybody any other verse? Any other verse? Yes. Proverbs one nine. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chain about thy neck. Okay. All right. By the way, we maybe ought to define what grace is. It's used it's used a lot of different ways, but somebody give us the technical definition unmerited favor of the Lord. I always I like to define it this way because it has, even grace has something to do with giving. And I always look at it It's it's heaven inter, intervening in our lives. That's grace, okay? It's God taking root in our heart, doing something that we need to do or we need to be or receives us for what we are. That's grace. And right, giving us something that we don't deserve in life. So the, some of those are some of the definitions of grace. I, I think I'll take the time here for a moment just to say this too. Um, I was in a revival meeting one time, and the evangelist was preaching a, meeting on, or preaching a message on grace, and he had my nephew, who was probably about 14, 15 years of age, he had him to stand up. He had real blonde hair and everything, and he had him to stand up, and he s- told this story. He says, now, um, suppose I pointed my finger at you Son, and he said, suppose I pointed my finger at you and told you, when you get home, you're going to get it. And, uh, and uh, his dad was sitting close by him there, and he says, and your dad said, when you go home, you're going to get it. You'd been squirming and wiggling here and everything else. Now, he hadn't been, and he was just picking on him. And he said, and, and you go home tonight, and your dad says, you're going to get it he's kind of hoping his dad will forget about it, but he, he sits down and his dad comes to him and would say to him, he said, son, he says, he sat down with him, says, I told you you're going to get it. Now you sit there for just a moment. And he walks into the kitchen, opens up the refrigerator, and pulls out a piece of strawberry shortcake and reaches out, I told you you're going to get it. Here it is. That's grace. That's grace. And I've never forgot that illustration through the years, what God does. Anybody else now? Verse on grace. Verse on grace. Up over here. First Thessalonians five, twenty eight, the other one that sounds like it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. All right, Paul finishes up a lot of his epistles that way. Over here. About, about, about for, for, for one okay. Okay, praise the Lord, back here. Amen. Well, there's a sermon there, but I don't have time to preach it. <laughs> Visions 289, Visions 289. Amen. Those are, I'm telling you, and pastor, I encourage you to that, man, never quit preaching on familiar verses of the Bible. Uh, They're rich. All right. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Man, all good. I'm wanting to preach on grace now. All right. Go ahead. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he sayeth, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from the Yes, amen. Okay. All right. Again, it's something we don't deserve. What was the reference? James 4 what? James 4. What? Yes. Okay. I word grace used quite a few in that chapter. Go ahead. Amen. Amen. God's grace. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Amen. Yes, sure can. I just wanna say Everett, the other night when we got saved. Last night I remember you say, Does anybody know that we do this with a a baby or a a young child? Right. I'm so proud of blessing to me. Okay. Amen. Anybody else? Yes? I got one here. The last verse in 2 Peter. But growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay. I got to say something about that verse. Okay. To me, that's the the secret of the Christian life. See, we, we can't. Live life the way we ought to live life without Christ. When Christ is in us, He comes by grace, obviously, and He comes and but we grow by grace. Heaven grows us. God works in us. And the way we get spiritual, we grow, become mature in the Lord, is when we surrender ourselves and allow His grace to take us that next step or that next next mile down the road or whatever. And He leads us and guides us. It's all grace. We can't get to heaven and say, well, look what a great Christian I was. It was all the Lord. Okay? Anybody else doesn't want to take up time? Over here. Okay. The hope of eternal life. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Okay. I bet we could probably give a hundred more of those. How many looked in a concordance to find it? Word on grace. Most of you did, some of you did. Okay. All right. If you would have scanned down through there, you'd have find there's probably dozens and dozens of verses. And not just the New Testament, the Old Testament has a lot to say about God's grace in our lives. Okay? All right. Like you take your Bibles tonight and turn here to Psalm chapter one hundred nineteen. Psalm chapter 119, I'd like for you to turn there with me. This is an unusual message to finish up a meeting with, but I just just feel impressed to share this with you. Psalm 119, and I want us to go down to one verse, and if you would stand with me, verse 89 is where we're headed. We have a little Bible college in our church, and we graduated Seven last year. This year we didn't have any to graduate. Well, I'll take that back. We had one that graduated. the uh, The theme and the thoughts of one of the classes that one of the other teachers was teaching was uh, Psalm one nineteen. Every every verse in this long chapter, Psalm one nineteen. And I, I think I'm going to preach on every word. Amen. <laughs> Uh, But anyway, Psalm 119 has every verse except for seven says something about the word of God, the Bible. You may call it judgment statutes, um, other words synonymous with scripture or with that. But anyway, all but seven have something to do with the word of God. And usually those seven verses are just kind of introducing the next verse or whatever. And the reason for it not being there. I want us to look at one verse tonight and I want us to look at it real intently, if we will, verse number 89 of chapter 119. The Bible says here in verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You may be seated. Father, I pray that you'll put me In a distant position here tonight that, dear God, that people just hear what God's word is all about and what it's what it's involved. And, dear God, may we go away with a greater heart's appreciation for the Bible. Dear God, may we see how it's important to our life. And as the song was sung tonight here just a few moments ago, I love thy word. And I pray, dear God, you'll manifest that to our lives tonight. Work in our lives. Encourage our hearts. Lift us where we need to be. And dear God, may we just see the preciousness of this book rise to the level that it needs to be in our life. In thy name we pray. Amen. Amen. There was a missionary. His name was Alexander Duff. And we may mention him later on and again in the message. But Alexander Duff was a missionary. He left out of Scotland, boarded an old time ship, headed across to India. And he's going to be a missionary there. God had laid it upon his heart. It was a time where missionaries were not popular and and it was difficult for men to give up their incomes, their lives or whatever to to go and share the gospel in the foreign lands. But Alexander Duff went. He packed his belongings in two basic uh, uh, containers and he put his Bible there. As he entered on that boat, he put his Bible on the top of that and he was headed to go off. He'd never been there before. He didn't know what to expect, didn't know what was going to happen. But after they got a little ways off, all of a sudden a storm rose up and began to sweep across that boat. And all of a sudden the winds began to blow and the, the, the waves began to roll over the top of, the, top of that ship. And before Alexander Duff knew it, there went his containers into the water. And top of it was the Bible. He sat down and thought to himself, what am I going to do? Here I am. I'm all by my lonesome at this point in time. Here I am. I'm going to a country that needs to hear the word of God. and I'm there to win souls and share the gospel with other people. And how am I going to survive without the word of God, without my belongings? Lord, if there's some way, dear God, help me to be able to rescue that. And as he began to go a little down the waters just a little bit more, he looked down into the waters. And the containers had already sunk to the, to the bottom. But there was his Bible floating on top of the waters. And it floated right up to the boat. And he reached down and he took that Bible, the Word of God, and placed it in his chest and he held on to it the rest of the trip. He may have lost everything he owned, but he didn't lose the Word of God. And he loved the Word of God so much, he was able to take that and translate that into the Burmese language and other, uh, so other people could hear him and see what was going to take place in his life. Martin Luther said this about the Bible: "The Bible is alive; it speaks. It is. It gives me feet that follows uh, me, and it has also um, it has what it takes to hold on to me." Martin Luther was not correct in everything he said and done, but he truly understood what the Word of God was all about. Someone has said, "The Bible is not an antique nor modern; it's eternal. It's eternal." Bible is the word eternal. And so we see in Isaiah 40 in verse 8, a great verse of the word of God. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our Lord endure forever. Thankful that we have that. Diocletian, who was a Roman leader back many, many, many years ago, he had ha- harassed the people and took, took away the things from their life. And as a result of that, he even turned around and uh, blamed Christians for uh, what they were doing. And as a result of that, Diocletian put many Christians to death. When he did, he would take the Word of God and try to bury it away from the people. But the Bible still lives on. and Diocletian has long been gone. There's a French atheist by the name of Voltaire. And Voltaire uh, lived out his days as an atheist. He spit upon the Bible. He defied the Bible. He didn't care for the Bible. And he tried to lead a, re- a revolt of rationalism across the country of France years ago. But Voltaire in his life, here he was, and he was proclaiming that God is dead, the Bible's no use, and he said, I, I defy the fact that I believe that the Word of God, the Bible, will not be in existence at the end of my days. Well... Voltaire died, and 50 years after he died, they took Voltaire's house and was bought up by the Geneva Bible Society to print Bibles in the basement of his house. I'm here to tell you the Bible is alive, it's real, and it speaks to us from God's Word, and He gives us the hope and expectations of what's there. I just want you to know about the Bible said there in our text tonight, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There's no questions. We may doubt and question things, but there's no question in God's mind that we have what God wanted for us today as English-speaking people. I'm not going to go on a ramrod course about the King James Bible, but I believe in the King James Bible. But I do believe with all of my heart that the Word of God, that God has preserved for English-speaking people today, we have today, we can say that it is eternal, the respect that we ought to have for this book. I'm talking about a respect for this book. When I was a a kid, my mother wouldn't let me put anything on top of the Bible. Wasn't allowed to put a hymn book, cookbook, science book, or any other book on top of the Bible. Because the Bible is not the average book. It's more than a book. It's God's holy word. And as a result of that, I've learned that when I go down the, the, in our church and I see a hymn book sitting on top of a Bible or something, I'll just knock the hymn book off uh, over to the side or put it back in the rack or whatever because there's just something about this book. We need to respect it. We need to respect it. But not just with our attitude. We need to respect it in our life to realize that uh, this is what God has. It gives us the answers to life's service. And he answers the serious questions that we face in life. You realize most books and most spiritual books or religious books today never say anything about sin. And if they do, they do not want to talk about it. The Bible does not put sin in a corner somewhere. It tells us exactly what it is. It tells us where it's going to to be. It, It tells us what it's going to be. And the fruits and the results of sin, it doesn't try to do that. It describes things that men did that we would want to say, whoa, I don't know if I'd have said that or not. And yet the Bible gives us help with those questions that we deal with when it comes to sin. How about salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord? You can't read the Bible very far without seeing the blood of Christ and His salvation found in the Bible, the Word of God. It's there. We see that faith and how do we get faith? And where does faith come from? And and uh, how do we learn, as we dealt with earlier this week, the trust in the God, and we trust His Word, His promises that He gives to us. How about the changed life? Isn't it good to know that we can have a changed life? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I've seen, I've heard in throughout my life, especially my latter years, looking back at people's lives and describe what they used to be, the things they used to do. And I look at them now and says, that's not the person I see now. That's not the way they live. That's not their attitude because God reached down and saved them. And because of that, it was because of their trust in what God said in this blessed old book that I hold in my hand. Hey, listen, folks, tonight we need to respect this book. You know, what other book talks about death and dying? It's something we'll all face one of these days. Our church is right across the street from a funeral home. And I'm so glad people don't get it confused very often. All right? But nonetheless, I'll look out my study sometimes, and I'll look across the street when the funeral's going on. And you know what I found out? That the vast majority of those people will, if it's good weather, will run inside, see the body... And then they'll run back out and sit outside and talk with some of their friends. They have a hard time facing death. And yet the Bible says it's appointed and a man wants to die and after this the judgment. That's the Bible. And so we know that God's word speaks volumes. And as a result of that, I, I can know with confidence that I can walk in there and realize there's, there's that individual. And later on, it's going to be me laying there. if God tarries his coming. <laughs> And as, as a result of that, we know that the Bible has the answers to death. And as a result of that, I think what Charles Spurgeon said years ago concerning death, he said, you know, they, they asked him, he says, would you tell us what science has to say about death? He says, no, I can't. But I can tell you what the Bible says about it. And thank goodness we have a Savior who's going to give us a resurrected body and he's going to take us to glory one of these days. And listen, folks, all the promises of God throughout eternity. By the way, I don't know why we've quit preaching on heaven. That's that's God's love gift to us. To think of his grace tonight that he would establish a place where we could go that we wouldn't have to burn in the fires of hell. We don't have to face his judgment tonight. We know that he's lifted us and taken us to be with him one of these days. I have prepared a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled i prepared a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm thankful that God has already laid this out for us, that if we put our trust in Him, if we choose Christ, if we follow into Him, then we know that God will carry out what He said because His Word says it. Is God going to say something to us tonight and then change His mind? A lot of times when I lead, especially a young person to the Lord, and I lead them to the Lord, I'll quote that verse for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have to approach God and and, and reach out to the Lord for salvation. And we believe it by faith and we accept it again by grace. And we take that, that promise that he's given us for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then when they're done and they've lifted their head and we've prayed and I say some thoughts to them and everything, but eventually I'll come back and say, now. no, Is God an Indian giver? Will He tell you one thing and do something else? And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, Put your name there. Last night I said, Everett, put your name there. For if Everett shall call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. That's God's word. That's God's promise. That's God's seal. And we can trust that tonight, I'm thankful for all that he has done. I'm just here to remind us that we need to respect this book. It, it, is, it authenticates the divinity of Christ. Now, I'm not trying to speak over your head tonight, but God is, is in Jesus Christ. They are one and the same. I am the father one, Jesus said. And we accept that because the Bible says so. Acts 20, verse 31. But these are written that ye might have life and that ye might have life through his name. Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm here to tell you He's all God. He's not 50% God. He's not 20% God. He's not almost God. He is God. I saw a poll here just a couple weeks ago where people, uh, they were put out, one of our major networks, and they put this thing out and they said that a a poll was taken of born-again Christians. That's the term they used. A poll was taken of born-again Christians, 60% of them do not believe that Jesus was God. Now, let me tell you, how can you be born again without believing in a Savior who is divine, who's God, who's the Son of God? Oh, dear friend, as we look through the pages of the Bible, I want you to know that this book, this Bible, we ought to respect it because it authenticates who Jesus is and tells us who He is it also gives hope to man we sometimes live life and we, we just need to be encouraged and we need to realize there is hope in the gospel and there's hope in Christ and the word of god goes over and over first peter is a wonderful book on hope well here we see that in the pages of the bible we through patience we through patience of the scriptures might have hope Somebody can tell you something. A friend can give you a piece of advice. Someone can be there to console you and comfort you and to pray with you. But I'm here to tell you, it's the Bible that gives man hope. We put our trust and faith in it and what God's word says. Let's respect this blessed old book that God has given to us. As we look at this, he not only we ought to respect it, but also because it helps us to relate to human experiences. Do you realize that almost everything that happens to our life has already happened in somebody else's life? And God gave us the Old Testament. I've been preaching a lot from it this week. But when God gives us the Old Testament, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that He gives us these things for encouragement and for hope. And so their lives, He says, uses the term the Old Scriptures, that the Scriptures might give us encouragement. When we read about... David's problems, we read about Abraham's faith, we read about all these characters in the word of God, both men and women, and the experiences they went through, the Bible doesn't hold back in telling us their blotches and sins, and blemishes but I'm here to tell you he also talks about how God was real in many of their lives and how they can do it, and listen, had we not have that, who are we going to rely on? Who are we going to trust in? But these were set as an example that God has given to us. May we follow those in life. It relates to human experiences. But the greatest thing. and The power of this book that I hold in my hand. Is it gives eternal life. First John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you. That believe on the name of the son of God. That ye might know. That ye have eternal life. If you're struggling with your salvation, whether, whether it's real or genuine or whatever, or maybe you're thinking that possibly something's happened, there's something wrong. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says, the Bible says that God has given us this book that we might believe on the name of the Son of God and that we might know that we have eternal life. I was preaching as an 18-year-old boy right out of my senior year. I think I told you this the other day. But as I was preaching in, in that meeting, it was a storefront building. It was a Baptist church that was just getting started. And the pastor was named Pastor McDonald. He was having heart surgery and they called, they called and asked if I'd come fill it for him for <clears throat> the six weeks he was laid up. God began to work every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, for six weeks. I don't think there was one service that somebody didn't respond in some way to the, invitation the messages and I can remember a lady coming up to me and she says uh you act like you know that you can go to heaven and you can know it in this life I says yes I do trouble was, I was only 18 years of age and I didn't know the scriptures like I know them now but I knew this much to tell her yes she can know but she'd been living her life her whole life with a thought that you're not going to really know till you die well, I'm here to tell you, you can know it now because God has breathed his life and his spirit into our lives and we get saved and born again. The reality of that takes place. Hey, I'm just trying to tell you tonight. We can, we can respect this wonderful book that God has given to us. How firm a foundation. Ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Oh, we sing that song often in our churches, but God help us tonight to see the value of the word of God. I believe we ought to respect this book. And by the way, I was preaching one time to a group of young people in in, uh, the industrial home for youth, which was like a prison or reformatory for young people. It's the last stopping point in the place of West Virginia for teenagers and young people. And it was just right behind where I'm pastoring. Still there, only now they don't house young people, they house adults, adult offenders that are ready to leave the system. And I I can remember going in there as a eighteen or as a young man uh, and trying to preach to those people and see what had happened. But I'm here I'm just a reminder of how so many of them were confused, just didn't know. You know many of those young people came from churches, had a church background, but they lost sight of the fact that uh, that what they had and what they could experience through Jesus Christ, God was going to preserve them and care for them. May I also say tonight that we ought to react to this book, not just respect it, but react to this book. See, the Bible is not just trust, it's obey. It's not just sitting and resting on what God said and said, God, you'll have to do it all. God wants us to react to this book and obey this book. And when... When, when the message comes forward of what to do, we need to obey it. God didn't give us the Ten Commandments just to give us a model. He did it because He wants us to obey it. When it says, honor your father and your mother, you say, I didn't have a very good father or very good mother, but God still wants you to honor them. That position that they have in your life, we need to honor them. And the Bible says we ought to obey So let's let's obey what God says because that's our way that we can react to this book, that we put it on a level that's higher than anything else that's ever been given. D.L. Moody said, God did not give us this book to give us knowledge, but to change our lives. And as they sung tonight, that's exactly what the Bible's meant to do. It's trying to transform our lives so that we become what God wants us to be. Transform us. It means metamorphosis, a change that occurs in our life, just like a a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And I'm sorry, Mr. Butterfly, that you're on the front of my car right now, but uh, I'm sorry to put you out there, but I didn't even know it. But that butterfly that's changed from a caterpillar is changed because of the metamorphosis of life. And when we come to the scriptures and we obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by receiving Jesus as our Savior, it's a way that we react to what God's word says. I think so many young people today are turning away and even adults are turning away uh, from the things of God, the work of God. And a lot of times it's because they just don't want to do what the Bible says. You know, I was with a group of young people. Actually, yeah, it was a youth rally. And this has been probably about, I'd say, no more than 10 years ago. And in that group of young people, this man stood up and said, I've worked with our teens in New York, not New York City, but New York State. I worked there with those young people and, and tried to reach them. He says 21 of them graduated the last few years from our youth group. 20 of those 21 never darkened a church door. It's sad to say, but it's simply because, not that necessarily they've lost faith, but they lost the hunger, desire to obey what God's word says. God gives us this for a way that we react to what God says. You've heard the name this week of George Griffiths. Well, his dad's name was Preston Griffiths. And at the time of this story, He's living in the state of Indiana. His older brother, Oral, is living in Pontiac, Michigan. and He's sitting in a Sunday evening service in Pontiac, Michigan, listening to Dr. Tom Malone preach. And all of a sudden, it was about the need and the urgency to win, win your family to Christ. And he's sitting there. Now, I don't know how far Muncie, Indiana is from Pontiac, Michigan, but it's several hours away. When he got in his car, he locked his car up, turned the engine on, and he didn't stop until he got to Muncie, Indiana. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. The Spirit of God is just working in him. I've got to tell my bro- younger brother. He's looked up to me all these years, and I've just gotten saved recently, and I'm going to go and do what God tells me to do and obey what I just heard tonight. And he went there and knocked on his door at 4 o'clock in the morning. Preston Louise got up. Answered the door, wiped their eyes so they could see who it was. And he pressed and said, Oral, what are you what are you doing here? He said, I just come to tell you that I've been saved and I want you to be saved. And you know what he said? He was a young man at the time. But you know what he said? He said, why didn't you tell me that years ago? And that night in his living room, his brother led him to Christ through a puddle of tears and compassion. He led him to Jesus. Within a few months, he moves back to Pontiac, Michigan to be with his brother and attend Midwestern Baptist College. It wasn't long until he set out and pastored a little church in Michigan as he got out of school. From that came two sons, George and Preston, or George and uh, Mike Griffiths, and a daughter named Paula. And they trusted Christ. And his wife Louise. From that there was a, a a preacher there, or not a preacher at the time, but a young man by the name of Edgar McKinney that was was living out his days in Pikeville, Kentucky. And he happened to be working in the plants there. Got a job there in Michigan, and he came and he sat down and listened to. Preston preach. The invitation was given, and he came forward. And he brought, as he came forward, he's, he had them old cowboy boots on, and he was skirting all the way down and almost slipped and fell when he got to the front. But he fell on his knees there and gave his life to Jesus and was born again and saved. Can I say that George Griffiths has preached across this country and seen literally thousands of people bow the knee to Jesus? And Mike. Has taken a little church there in, in Kentucky and loved them and worked with them and dealt with them. That pastor, Eric or uh, Edgar McKinney, was sitting there and while well, he's in Pikeville, Kentucky, now back from Bible school, he's preaching the Word of God and starts a church from scratch there in Pikeville, Kentucky. And that's where my wife started going. She had already been saved in Michigan, but she gave her life to the Lord there. And that's where we met when I was preaching a revival meeting years years ago. I'm just trying to tell you what, what if Oral had never taken hold of the Bible that was preached to him and spoke to his heart about the need of winning his brother to Christ. Why do he hesitate and say, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go some other time? I wonder if that chain of events would have taken place where literally thousands of people have come to know Jesus because one man's soul winning efforts to respond to what God's word said. I suppose that scenario could be played out in many people's lives through the years. One seed produces many fruit. Like an ear of corn, we put just a few kernels in the ground, and it comes up, and when it comes up, we have kernel after kernel after corn. Thank goodness for the fruit of all of that. Can I say, though, not only we ought to react to this book and obey this book and what it says to us, we not only need to respect this book, but we need to read this book. Oh, now, preacher, I'm not much for reading. It's it amazing how you can read... Uh, building streams. Sometimes the newspaper, though that's not as popular as it used to be. Isn't it amazing how we can read other things? And that God's book that's been preserved of him, given to us, that reveals all these truths to us and helps us and encourage us and gives us how we ought to live our life. I just wonder what we would see to all that. Let me give you three rules for knowing your Bible. You may want to write this down. Number one, read the Bible. Number two, read the Bible. And number three, don't forget this one, read the Bible. God didn't give it to us just to tickle our ears or make us intellectual or make us think deep thoughts He gives us the Bible that we might grow as we learn of Him. Again, we heard the song tonight. My, that was just exactly what we needed to hear. Deuteronomy 17 verse 19 says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and keep all the words of the law. As Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land, he tells them, listen, meditate On this book. And that was the charge that was given to the people. Isaiah 34 verse 16 says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, and not one of these shall fail. Every promise has an answer. Every promise that God gives us has something. You're going to need times you're going to need to be consoled. You're going to need to be comforted. You're going to need to help you through a sorrowful event, a trial that you're experiencing, but it's also there to convict you when you think you're a little too big for your drawers. Hey, let me tell you folks tonight, the Bible is all that it tends to be and all that it needs to be. And that's why Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for therein is where I reveal myself in basic words. Search the Scriptures. Give us what's needed in life. So I look at this and I think of our need to read the Bible. I, was years ago, there was a young man who had been in an accident, another explosion. Dynamite had been involved, it put off a big explosion, and this man was rescued from that, rushed to the hospital. And it didn't look like he was going to survive. There was something in his heart that knew something was about to transpire, and he wanted to read the Bible. He took that, they brought him a Bible. This was early on in this experience, and he comes in and they want him to they bring a Bible in for him and he they realize that he's blind. He can't read it. he's still crying out and asking for some help but Again, there's not much left to his voice and strength, but he was able to to put down a little pad, you know, help me, I want to read. So they thought we'd bring him some Braille. And they were going to teach him how to put his fingers on that, even though he was blind, he was going to put his fingers on that, that hopefully that he could be able to read the Word of God. And he... He stumbled over that because they found out that it would take away all the senses in his fingers. And then, what were they going to do? His heart's crying out. I want to read the Bible. And then it just so happened, in their attempts to to bring that up to him so he could put his fingers on it, it bumped his lip and they realized there was sensitivity in his lips. And he put that up there again and he could feel it. Do you know that young man read the Bible through twice with just his lips touching the Braille? But our Bible so much sits on a loft somewhere, or in the back seat of a car, or on a table, coffee table somewhere, or a shelf, and very seldom is, do we pick it up. But our hearts cry out tonight for the Word of God, and the ability to be able to share it to the best of our ability to others who need to know the Lord. I mentioned Alexander Duff a moment ago. Alexander Duff was, was a great missionary to India when he got there, but he was getting extremely old and they said uh, take me back take me back home to scotland and so they did they brought him a few days later he happened to be a presbyterian in scotland there but they took him back and while he was there he stood before the general assembly of the presbyterian church of scotland in a big hall there and he stood and they had to help him stand up and Alexander Duff began to talk about Scotland and, and uh, all that was there and the opportunities that were available. He said, uh, let's see what happens. And so all of a sudden when he got up and stood up to, to give this, he, he got weak and about three or four minutes into what he was going to share, he collapsed and fell down. They carried him to the back room and were going to try to escort him out and all of a sudden he stood up with enough strength to say, I want to go back and finish what I was going to say. And they said, well, okay. And so he started in. When the Queen of Victoria calls for the volunteers to go to India, hundreds of young men spring to their feet, spring to their colors, and yet when King Jesus calls us to respond, there's silence. Then he spoke again and says, It is true that the fathers and mothers of Scotland had no more sons to give for India. Still there was silence. He said, Then, the aged that I am, then I guess I'll just go back to India. All of a sudden, as they begin to walk him off to the side... One young man sprung to his feet and says, I'll go! I'll go! And then another one. I'll go! I'll go! Before it was all over, almost 40 young men surrendered their life to say, I'll go and take that Bible that Alexander Duff had lost at sea and brought back to him. I'll take that word and I'll go back to the places of India or wherever God may send me, with a message of the gospel, I'll go! Taking their families and others with them, if they could, and they went off to be what God wanted them to be, in obedience to the word of God. I'm just trying to tell us today, all of our problems, all of our hearts, could find solace and comfort and care in this book, but it's the message of the book. God help us tonight. I know many of us are going up in years and we kind of get to the point when we get that retirement age even before we just get tired and we want to rest and we want to give up. But this Bible is too important, folks. And the Word of God is so real. He's given us an everlasting book. Now, I'm not talking about the covers and the pages of it, but the truths of it and the message of it and the words of it are eternal. And they're going to judge us one of these days when we get to heaven. All oh, listen. Give a good account of yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I love preaching. When I was ordained, I was married to the ministry and to this book and this Bible. And I'm so thankful 50-some years later, I can still stand in a church like this And tell people about Christ. Give out the word of God. But we need help folks. We just need you to listen to the voice of God. You may not understand everything. But like the old farmer when he went out with a pail to go fishing. And he put it down in the water and it wouldn't hold water. Somebody said it didn't hold water, but it sure is a whole lot cleaner than it used to be. If you'll keep your face in this book, I'm not asking you to be a Bible scholar. In fact, that's really not the need tonight. The needs just people that says, I believe in and trust it. Look what the Lord did for me. Look at the changes He made in my life. And I just want to be conformed to that. And we need to lift up this Bible, the Word of God, and make it what it ought to be. I want to... Not only answer that call as we talked about last night. I want to surrender and be faithful. God can give you that grace and that help to be that too. See, grace is part of salvation, but it's more than just salvation. It's almost every experience we go through in life. We need Him. And so let's be obedient. Let's do what God would have us to do tonight. Let's all stand to our feet. Appreciate your patience. You're willing to listen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. This is the last night I'll be preaching here to you. Maybe the last night ever. Who knows? I hope not. But let's let's really ask our hearts. Is the Bible, do I treat it like a live book or a dead fish? Let's surrender to it tonight. Maybe you'd make a commitment to the Lord in some form. Maybe there's just something on your heart. Maybe you need to leave out of this meeting tonight and go to somebody you know that needs to be born again and saved. What am I going to tell them? Just tell them what happened to you. That's what Paul did three times in the Bible. He just told people, this is what happened to me. I was on the road to Damascus, light above the light of the sun shone down upon me. I was knocked to my feet. I lost my sight, but I went into the city as they escorted me in, and Jesus spoke to me. And he gives that testimony to three different people, three different times in the book of Acts. God help us. God help us to let God's word Become what it ought to be in our lives. We're going to sing this song of invitation. I'm not going to ask you to lift up your hand. If you're here and you need to be born again, you need to be saved. Why don't you come and let somebody take the Bible and the scriptures and show you how you can know for certain that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You may be here tonight, maybe as a Christian, a child of God. Many of you claim to be, and I have no reason to doubt it, don't. Know you that well to know one way or the other. But I believe you are. You've raised your hand that you are. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he's 100% God, 100% man? He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. I said the other night, and when we put our trust in him, we got to receive him as that, as the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, do you know that? Do you have that assurance in your heart? Why didn't you fall in love with the word of God? With your standing, and I'll be, pa- I'll be patient with me here. But when I was 14 years of age, remember I was saved when I was nine. When I was 14 years of age, I went to visit, visit my brother who was living in Charleston, West Virginia at the time. He worked on the day, so I was at home at his house with his, his wife was working too. And I was there all by myself, 14 years of age. And I couldn't sleep at night. I don't know why. For a 14-year-old, I couldn't sleep at night. And my Bible that I would brought, which I wasn't reading, but my Bible was there on the side post on, on that dresser. And I decided I can't go to sleep. I'll just start reading it. And I opened up and read about 10 verses, closed up the Bible, didn't think anything about it, just put it up aside. I did that Monday night. I did that Tuesday night. I did that Wednesday night. And by Thursday night, I said, this isn't that bad. I think I'll read it some more. I went home and I started doing the same thing. And that's been all these years later, 54 years later, and I'm still reading it. You say, well, you're a preacher. I know that. But I wasn't a preacher then at 14. God help us to love the word of God. Let's read it, respect it. React to it when it speaks. Father in heaven, move in our midst tonight. Help us, dear Lord, just to obey you. And dear God, those tears that may be in our eyes right now, I pray, dear God, it will lead us to greater compassion to walk with God. In thy name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing this song of invitation. You're here tonight. Won't you respond? React to God's word tonight. When God's dealing with you and God's showing you things, Let's react to it. Let's be obedient. What God wants us to be. Let's sing. All right. 481. 481. All right. your reaction to the Word of God tonight. Let's go home and start reading it. You're going to start respecting it. They've yanked it out of our schools years ago. Now they're trying to rip it out of government and everything else. Let's respect it.